I'm Jonathan Mosin and this is Mosin at Large, the show that's got the blind community talking. Janet Ingber has updated her book on Mac Basics. It's published by National Braille Press. I'll talk to her about her book, The Mac, and we'll hear some listener comments about the current state of the Mac from Clubhouse. Mosin at Large Podcast. Janet Ingber's book about Mac basics has helped many people make the leap from Windows to Mac and even ensured that existing Mac users who run VoiceOver are making the most of their device, and we all want to do that. Now Janet has updated her book once again. It's available from National Braille Press, and she joins me now to talk about this. Hi, Janet. It's good to have you with us. Hi, it's good to be here. Tell me about the new book. What does it cover And who's your audience for this? The book covers a whole lot. I mean, it it covers the Mac basics and it integrates the Big Sur updates. The other thing it does is it talks sometime about going between Windows and Mac. This is the same on a Mac or Windows and this is different. So I try to write it for the person who's going for the Mac for the first time and is on a Windows computer or for somebody that knows a little bit about Mac and wants to learn a bit more as I was researching, I, I learned some new things. So there's a lot there. That is one of the benefits of writing these books, isn't it? That you have to go into the detail, into the weeds. And actually, as the author, you end up a lot more informed than you were before you started the project. That's definitely true. And it's true. I also write for Access World. And I've learned things doing articles there, too. So there's always new things to learn. There will be people who I imagine have never used a Windows computer these days that they started with a Mac. It was their first computer. Do you think it's easier for those people who just jump straight into the Mac paradigm rather than go from Windows? I think so. Uh, The Mac has more flexibility and you you don't get your two systems confused. Um, There have been times I have a Windows computer that I use at work and I've tried to put Mac commands on a window on a Windows computer and vice versa. So I wish I had started out with a Mac, but they it wasn't that way. I started out with PC and Window Eyes, and then when Window Eyes went away, I went to NVDA. But the thing I liked about Mac was that when I switched over in about 2012, 2013, I didn't have to buy a separate screen reader. I the jump from iPhone to the Mac was was a natural progression. And I love that I had the same screen reader rather than having to go buy one. Do you think that value proposition still holds true to the same degree now that Narrator is becoming a much more capable screen reader that's built into Windows? I think so. I think VoiceOver is still a better screen reader if you're going to go for one or the other. NVDA is, is really good. And that's the one that I've used on my Windows computer once Window Eyes went away. Um, I can use both. I like NVDA better, but that's really just a point of personal privileges. We've been having quite a lively discussion on the podcast in recent weeks, actually, that a listener brought up about voiceover on the Mac versus JAWS, specifically on Windows, is the thing that the listener raised and what the advantages were. And I suppose the big thing there, though, is that you've got to pay for JAWS, and they've tried to deal with that by offering a kind of a monthly uh, subscription option to make that more viable. If you're in employment, JAWS can make the difference between doing a job and not doing a job. How do you think the Mac stacks up on the job for a lot of people who do require that level of functionality? 
I think that the, the Mac, I mean, you can get Word for Mac or you can put Windows on your Mac computer. I did that for about two months and got rid of it. Or you could use something like TextEdit, which unless you're doing really fancy Word documents or, or reports, you can just use TextEdit or you can use Apple's version of Excel. A, a lot of it with a lot of jobs, it depends on the software that they require you to use. At one point, I was doing something, we had changed our paperwork and had to use the software that was just ridiculous and, and totally inaccessible. They said, I'll do it, do it with Google Chrome. And even that didn't work. The instructions and, and the screen reader feedback were not enough. Yeah, I remember coming to the Mac in 2012 and Microsoft Office in general was just really a no-go. And I suppose to Microsoft's credit, they have made a lot of progress in that regard. Uh, Whether the user interface is a good one or not is a debatable point, but at least I suppose they've tried to make Office work on the Mac to some degree. Yeah, the thing with using JAWS is really expensive. And uh, for some people, they, they just can't afford it. NVDA works well with basic things and and so does narrator but i found for 99% of this stuff anything i can do in windows i can do on a mac is it swings and roundabouts though because it is true that jaws packs a hefty price tag but then so does the mac hardware doesn't it so do you really gain much in the end if you've had to spring for a more expensive mac laptop when you may have been able to get a cheapish windows device and then jaws do you come out about even I think that's a personal choice. I switched over to Mac because I liked Mac better. I I learned Mac initially. My daughter actually had a Mac. I learned the iPhone first. And for any of you who are thinking of going to that, I will tell you that the first couple of days, couple of weeks I had it, I was ready to throw it out the window. So just with, with any computer or any device, if you're new, understand that you're going to have that time where you just can't stand in and it's it's not working. I think what it is too, it's not only the hardware versus the software, it's that the Mac is just so much more flexible and there are so many different ways to navigate or to have text read or to, to do all kinds of things, which is great in my opinion. One of the things that I don't hear mentioned often, and it's curious to me, Because I used a Mac for four years and I deliberately bought mine at the beginning of a long summer holiday in 2012 because I agree with you, you just commit so much to muscle memory. You've got to allow yourself time to give something new, like a complete operating system shift, a fair chance. So I deliberately chose a time when I was going to not need to be productive and just immerse myself in the Mac. I didn't use Windows for quite some time. And that did work for me. One of the things that I I don't hear mentioned often that I think is one of Mac's biggest selling points in a voiceover context is the item chooser. I think that's an amazingly efficient productivity uh, hit for the Mac. Yeah, because it gives you a whole list of what's available on the screen. And it's just, it's one keystroke and, and you've got all these options in front of you. Right. Essentially, every element on the screen is searchable. And if you know an app well enough that something's on the screen somewhere, you can quickly drill down and find that item or even find a series of items that match your search criteria. It's also on the iPhone, but I actually think the Mac implementation of Item Chooser is a bit better than the iPhone one. I agree. I want to get into the geekdom on this, Janet, because the geek in me wants to understand how you wrote this. What tools did you use to write this book. I presume that you did write it on the Mac, of course. Yeah, I did it on the Mac. I did it in text edit. I could have done it in pages, 
but I chose text edit. It's it's nowhere near as complex and doesn't give you the same kind of options as pages did. But I knew it was just going to be basically headings and descriptions for the most part. So I did it that way. I worked with National Braille Press and we did a brief outline of what was going to be covered and, and then built it from there. As far as what I chose, um, I wanted it choose stuff that's really you're going to use every day or, or or something like that. So I didn't really go into the fancy stuff like Amadeus Pro for recording or anything like that. I didn't go into the Max version of PowerPoint and I didn't go into the Max version of Excel. I went to the basic stuff, emails, setting up, writing, reading PDFs, things like that, that are going to be more common that the average user is going to use. But remember, this is this is a basic. There's a lot more, but I want you to at least get the reader started if they've never had any experience with a Mac. Yes, because I suppose if you put those building blocks in place, then once people understand those essential concepts, they can take those and run with any application they want. Right. And that's a great thing about the Mac. It, all, it kind of builds on each other. And a lot of things, the commands are very similar and like you your left-hand menu is always going to be the Apple menu with, with all kinds of things. And a lot of the menus are very similar and some are application specific. So I wanted to make it really clear and not have to go into any fancy tricks. Sometimes on social media and programs like mine, Apple gets pinged a little bit for not giving voiceover on the Mac sufficient love, that there hasn't been a lot of evolution do you think that's the case? I mean, is one of the reasons why you've updated this book that there have been some substantive changes in voiceover you wanted to tell people about? There have been some changes. First of all, you can now put the control center that you have on your iPhone is now on your Mac. And I discussed that and I discussed how to add and remove things from the control center. One big thing in the sounds category is that for all you Mac users who wondered whether startup timeline, it's back. And you can find that in sound system preferences. But especially something like using the, it's basically the context menu that that you've seen in, in Mac, but now you can open it many different applications with uh, command VO spacebar. And you'll get a whole list of options for you right there. You don't even have to go running through anything. It's all right there. That to me is also one of the biggest things with the Mac. The other thing is that they've added more Braille support, and you can talk about that more than I can. I'm not a Braille user, but they, they've added Braille support. So they've, they've done quite a bit this time. I'll have to have another look. We do have an, an M1 Mac lurking about, and it's, I've not connected a Braille display to that M1 Mac yet, if but that want, is if interesting. You get, if you want to get rid of it, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I think Bonnie would be very disappointed if we got rid of it now. Um, she's been She's been using it. We do hear about people, you already mentioned this, we hear about people who want to get into the Mac because they've had a really good iPhone experience. And then they think, wow, if the iPhone is this good, then I want to try the Mac. I want to switch. And then sometimes I see people who say the Mac hasn't lived up to my expectations in the same way that the iPhone did. Do you hear that? And if so, why do you think that is? I do not hear that. The Mac is just the same ecosystem, but you're working with a keyboard and there's all kinds of different things that you can do. Pretty much anything you can do on an iPhone, you can you can do on a Mac. Unfortunately, Amadeus Pro is not one of those things yet. 
But if you are an iPhone user and you get a map with a touch bar, the touch bar basically works like the iPhone home screen. You just swipe around and you double tap on whatever you want. So if you're coming from the iPhone and this is your first Mac, you might want to consider that. So like in mail, it gives you options on the touch bar to send and to reply and to reply all. Um, in music, you can increase or decrease your volume. There's a whole lot of things that, that work kind of like the iPhone. Instead of using keyboard commands, you can use the touch bar. Personally, because I'm better on keyboard than I am on the touch bar, I rarely use it, but it's there if I want it. Not all the Macs have it. Uh, I don't believe the Mac Airs do, but the Pros do. That's right. So the MacBook Air that we bought with M1 does not have the touch bar. It just has a traditional row of function keys. And I hear that Apple might be phasing out the touch bar altogether, that it hasn't been adopted in a way that they'd anticipated. So the touch bar may well be a thing of the past shortly, it looks like. Honestly, for me, that that would be fine. I I never use it. Um, I am going to update my computer right now. I'm working on a, I think it's a 2017 MacBook Pro. Uh, Next one I get is going to be a MacBook Air. The M1 Macs have just taken the world by storm, haven't they? And there's absolutely no doubt you would have to be incredibly biased not to agree that Apple's hit it out of the park with this. The battery life is stunning. What they're doing with these processes is just amazing. It's a hardware triumph for Apple, and that's really exciting. So you haven't got your hands on that yet yourself. I haven't. I usually like to wait when they start releasing something brand new. I wanted to wait a year just to see what happens, what bugs are in it. With the iPhone, I usually don't do that. But with the Mac, I sometimes try to wait. And it was a matter of getting a new Apple Watch or getting a new Mac. We've talked about the fact that you were able to write this book on the Mac, which is really impressive. I'm just thinking of a scenario, say, where you've got a student and they've got one shot at the computer that either is going to be funded for them or family buys for them or something like that. Do you know of students, for example, who are writing quite complex term papers with footnotes and uh, references and the things that are required um, for that high level of writing using Mac tools? Yeah, Pages will give you all of that. It's part of the iWork suite. It is on your Mac. It was having a lot of accessibility issues way back, and they have actually improved that quite a bit. One of the new things that excites people too is new technology that allows people to run iPhone apps on the Mac. Uh, So your favorite iOS app can come to a Mac near you as well. Uh, That really does open uh, a lot of possibilities, particularly with the trackpad on the Mac that really makes it feel like you are running an iPhone when you use those gestures on the trackpad. No, definitely. I haven't done it just because, I don't know, but from what I've heard, Yes, the newer Macs work better with it. Mine's a little bit old, but yeah, I've done it and, you know, I'm just a creature of habit and I'm just so used to doing it on the iPhone. But yes, I have heard good things about that. I understand that there is room for improvement, but things change and, and computers get better. And with my next computer, I will start doing that. I realize this is an on-the-spot kind of question, so you may not have an answer for it, but is there one feature you can think of where you think, I really wish VoiceOver would add this to the Mac and it would just make the experience so much better and enhance my productivity? I wish with, especially the the more advanced like pages or anything like that, the, the more complicated apps, I wish VoiceOver would say more. 
that that's basically it. Even now with within the voiceover utility, you can customize it. So voiceover tells you a lot. But overall, I'm very happy with it. I'm much happier with it than I was with Window Eyes or NVDA or Narrator. What about Safari Busy? Safari Busy. This is one thing that comes up on my podcast quite a bit. How's that going these days? I think it's better. I think it's a lot better than it was. Yeah. And I've heard discussion about that, that there is improvement. You know, Safari Busy could be your Mac. It could be your Wi-Fi. It it could be anything. But yeah, Big Sur, in my opinion, has improved that significantly. So Big Sur is the latest version of the Mac operating system. Do you see some benefits to blind people in some of the changes that have been made in Big Sur that have been rolled out recently? Definitely the, the voiceover and Braille things and just everything is more customizable, which is great because we all don't do things the same way. Like I said, I love that menu thing. It's it's quicker to go that way. And there is just so much information available from voiceover now. I think it works really, really well right now. Interaction, Janet, that's probably the biggest paradigm shift. I know that's a buzzword, but if you're coming from Windows, and even if you've used an iPhone, interacting with content's probably one of the biggest things that you have to get your head around. They seem to have given you a little bit more choice in terms of the degree to which you must interact now, which I'm not sure whether it complicates things further. How would you explain interaction? I I think you did a good job of this in the book itself, actually, having a go at explaining interaction. First thing about interaction is that I want to say if you do it or you don't do it, you will not mess anything up. Okay. What it does is that it has the cursor in a position where it's going to stay within that one column or within that one area of information. So if you try something and all of a sudden your your cursor is all over the place, you can interact with it. And there are a bunch of ways to do that. The the keyboard command, the voiceover keys, plus um, the shift key and the down arrow to interact. And the best place to try that is probably the voiceover utility and just just play around with it. Most of the time, I don't even do it. If I see something's not going right and I'm not where I think I'm going to be, then I'll do it. Uh, but there, to me, it seems that there's a lot less interacting required. So basically, it's to keep you in the right place for, for what you're doing. Sometimes it's hard to know when to and when not yeah. to, isn't it? Especially on menus and yeah. things. Sometimes interaction is necessary and sometimes it's not necessary. Sometimes it's not. The same thing with the uh, in menu stuff with, with the uh, voiceover keys. Yeah. And, you know, and, and sometimes you don't need them. But no matter what you're doing, it, don't panic. There's nothing you can do to your Mac if you forget a key and there's nothing you can do if you interact or don't interact. You know, they, they, you're not going to do anything. We're, we're not going to we're not going to tell you the secret keystroke that explodes your Mac and shatters it to smithereens. Unfortunately, you're going to have to find that one for That's yourself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's go to the audience and talk to Haroon first of all. You got a question or comment for Janet? I have a, a comment. I um well, of course, I've been a Mac user for some time, and I recently uh, uh, got myself a, a new Mac Mini with uh, the M1 chip. And I was listening to your comments before, and I haven't seen the Safari Busy um, syndrome for quite some time. In fact, it's very, very snappy. And uh, I've also played with some applications uh, for iOS on the Mac uh, using the trackpad and the keyboard, and 99.9% of what I've tried works flawlessly. And so what was the device that you now are running? Uh, I've got a, I've got a, uh, a Mac Mini. 
Okay. With the, with, M- with the M1 processor. Yes. Yeah. 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 Pretty phenomenal stuff, isn't it? Yeah. It's very, very good. Yeah. Are you running iOS applications on yours to any great degree? Uh, yes. Well, um, I'm um, working as a developer, so I'm kind of doing that all the time. But I've tried a number of the of um, iOS apps that I run regularly on my phone, also on uh, on the Mac, and um, there's very little difference, when, particularly when you're using the trackpad. Do you think they'd ever get to the point where they will unify the operating systems? Because now that they've got an M1... I think they're on the way already. Yeah, well, it looks that way. <laughs> definitely yeah. on the way. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, they've got the M1 processor on the new iPad, for example. Yes. And it's like yeah. crying out for more capability, isn't it? It feels like it's being constrained by the operating system. Yes, yes, I felt that too. In fact, my suspicion is that um, we're going to see, basically, eventually we're just going to see all these devices... Uh, running various versions of iOS. I think they're going to get rid of the idea of sideloading altogether. I have heard that, especially running iOS apps on your Mac, that you really need the faster processor to do it. I agree. I, I think that eventually it's all going to merge. Um, you know, that, that we're in the beginning of this. iPad OS and iOS are basically the same thing, just that I, um, iPad apps can be run on the iPad where they can't be run on the iPhone. And yeah, I think they're trying to merge the system so that you don't have to necessarily learn all these different operating systems. The biggest backdown will be if they release a touchscreen Mac because they've been adamant they're not going to do that. But it just seems like such a logical progression. I would buy um, one immediately if they did. Really? Why? I don't know. I, I Sometimes it's quicker. And I, I just think it would be a lot of fun to use it. And it would be, again, it would make it more similar to the iPad or, or iPhone. So They might I, call yeah, it, they I, might I, call I, it I, the Mac pad. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I like the distinction between, I mean, if I'm going to see a Mac with a touchscreen, I might as well have an iPad. It's hard to sort of understand where those product categories are distinct, you know. Uh, increasingly, it's becoming a bit of a blur. The Mac traditionally um, was said to be the open platform uh, where, you know, you don't have some of the uh, restrictions. You know, you can run any kind of app that you like. I just reinstalled um, an ARM version of Windows recently because, of course, being the M1 chip, it doesn't run the Intel-based version. Mm. Uh, only to discover there are no screen readers that work with it. But I think that'll come. We'll talk to Desiree next. Hi, Desiree. Hello. First uh, comment, I hate the touch bar. Hate it, hate it. Wish I could Would you like to tell us what you really think, Desiree? (laughs) Yes. Every time I'm typing numbers, it's it's just in the way. I recently got a, um, my work purchased the new MacBook. I was using an old Mm, gosh, five-year-old Mac before, which is kind of nice because they they tend to last longer than Windows machines. So if you know of a way to disable that thing, I'm all yours. But um, (laughs) uh, the comment, I guess, and question I I wanted to bring up is I work in the education field. I don't teach, but I, I work with assessments and different things. And it's interesting to me how little that Mac and voiceover and things are taught to kids. And, you know, it's been around at least accessible iPhones have been around for at least, you know, 
10 years or I don't know, long enough time now that I would think that they would start kind of teaching that more. But they still revert to, I, I, I say revert, but go back to teaching JAWS. Is it because it's more universal or it's what more of the jobs expect people to use? Or why do you think they don't teach more Mac and voiceover in schools? It might also be because the state or the city or the county has a a working relationship with, let's say, Freedom Scientific or some, or somebody like that. Um, but yeah, I understand the same exact thing that that most of the kids are most are, are getting Jaws and they're getting Windows computers. I guess because either contract or because more people are using Jaws and more people are using Windows than Macs. You don't think it's because there's an argument among some AT instructors that it's actually more capable. 80-odd, I think it's nearly 90% of the world's computers do run Windows. And one of the things that really troubles me is just how poor Apple's Braille support is, particularly for input. Output's not so bad, but if you have a Braille device and you're brailing into a document on your iPhone or the Mac, the back translation is incredibly finicky and difficult. And I seriously do worry, uh, given the attractiveness of the iPad. I mean, when I hold an iPad, I always go, wow, yeah, this is a sexy mm-hmm. piece of equipment, you know, and I just want mm-hmm. to use it. It's I, don't know, I don't know why yeah. I want to use it. I just want to because it feels so great. But mm-hmm. if we are giving iPads, and for that matter, Macs, to kids in the school system and Apple declines to deal with their Braille problems properly for Braille input, that really does worry me. I mean, I'm all for user choice, but we're talking about the next generation of kids and their literacy here. And and I think part of the problem too, and where I work, they use Microsoft products. That's what they, we have to use Teams and, and all of those kind. those, they work on the Mac, but it is more efficient. The keyboard shortcuts are a little more reliable and different things on Windows machines. And I just, I'd like to see that change because a lot of people that I talk to are like, oh, I hate voiceover. I'll never touch it. You know, they'll never even try it. And there might be some, some capabilities that they lose out on by not knowing iPhone, you know, iPhones and Macs and voiceover. Definitely. What's your experience yourself, Desiree? Obviously, you're a capable, seasoned Mac user. What's your perception of the pros and cons of, of both platforms? Well, for me, it's it's the going back and forth learning curve, right? Sometimes I, I actually made my modifier key the caps lock key for voiceover because I, I'm so used to doing that with JAWS and I have to jump back and forth a lot. I love my iPhone and I like the seamless way that I can transfer stuff between my iPhone and my Mac. And I, of course, like that anytime there's an update that voiceover gets updated. So, I mean, there's a lot of of functionality that I like with the Mac, but then I kind of do go back to Windows when I need to really be like on Zoom a lot or on Teams or using Excel or any of the Office products. For me, it's important to know both, but that's a lot of information to remember, right? That's a lot of shortcut keys to memorize. They're totally different, but I I wouldn't put a Windows on my Mac machine just because I wouldn't want to degrade from the functionality of the Mac. So I think it's important to know both myself. Can you articulate what it is about Windows that causes you to go back to Windows for certain applications like Excel and and the Office applications? I I just think it works better. When I'm in an Excel file, it, it 
seems to to work a lot better. I am a Braille user as well, and you're right in that you know it definitely feels different, types different, everything. Um, the Mac versus Windows, and I guess too, like everybody's using Windows at my work. So if I do something on my Mac, I've got to unless I'm in Excel for Mac, I've got to convert it from like numbers over to Excel. And I just, I get lazy and don't want to do that. So I just go back to my Windows machine for that. That's really interesting. One thing we haven't talked about, but you alluded to, which I'd like to explore with you both as expert Mac users, is continuity. Because I think this is one of the really nice things about the Mac iOS combo is that mm-hmm. you can do FaceTime calls on your Mac. You can answer uh, and, and send iMessages. And it's all just so seamless. And that's a very nice feature. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've got a Dell XPS 15 that I purchased uh, a few months ago. And they are trying to emulate the same feature with a kind of a, uh, a very hacky Bluetooth connection to your iPhone and a special app, and you have to go through about a gazillion permissions to make it work. And then when you've finally done that, the accessibility experience is nowhere near as good, and it's just nowhere near as seamless as the continuity experience between the Mac and the iPhone. Yeah, I tried installing like the Windows for iPhone um, application or whatever, so you could type on your iPhone using your Windows computer and some other things. And yeah, you're right. It just doesn't work as well. One of the reasons that I went to the Mac is because it is seamless. Um, no matter what device I'm on, whether it's my watch or, or my Mac or my phone, my Apple Music library goes with me. Uh, documents go with me, all all kinds of stuff that obviously email. It, it's just, it's you're having, and now um, with having your your iCloud doc, documents folder and your iCloud desktop folder easily accessible on your Mac, you've, you've got a tremendous amount of material automatically available to you on your iPhone. Yeah, and yeah. iCloud for Windows is not so easy to use. <laughs> no, it's absolutely terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yes, so that's right. Now and you're co- saying how you really feel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I cannot believe that a company like Apple, that normally you know at least makes an effort with accessibility, has just left iCloud for Windows in the state that it's in. It's an abomination, I tell you. And iTunes too has gotten unusable almost unless you get scripts how do you both assess the apple music kind of general music playing experience on mac at the moment we actually had to um, take out that whole chapter of the book because of space honestly i like it better on the iphone Um, Mm -hmm. i wrote that in the chapter that got cut it's just an easier interface on on the mac you're kind of jumping from thing to thing and and it's much, much easier instead of going that way, just flicking right and left. And it's just a much, much better interface, in my opinion. Yeah. I, or I just talk to Siri because I get sick of, just play the song already. Right. <laughs> well, of course, that's something I didn't mention when I was talking about continuity. You've got Siri on the Mac as well. Uh, some Macs have Touch ID. And so, you know, there, there's a lot that's familiar there. I will say one thing about Siri on the Mac. Uh, on the touch bar Mac, the Siri button is right next to the touch ID slash on off button. Mm-hmm. And it is very easy to hit the Siri thing. And it's also a, um, so that's really annoying. And the other thing is the mute button is right, is to the left of the Siri button. So it is actually a little easy to mute your audio 
Mm-hmm. Uh, those are two things I do not like about the touch bar. I, 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 I mean, the touch bar again. I, 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 I actually disabled, I disabled Siri on the Mac. And every so often I get these things. Don't you want Siri to come back and, you know, and this is what she can do for you. Uh, no. <laughs> so bring on the revolution and down <laughs> with the touch bar. That's what we say. That's what, that's what we, and, the, and if they do get rid of it, though, those of us that have these fancy new MacBooks or whatever elites, how do we? Okay, they get rid of the touch bar, but I'm still stuck with it. <laughs> because they want you to buy new hardware. That's what they want you to do. I'll have to talk to my, my boss about that one. <laughs> if, if there was a way to disable the touch bar, even if it's on your Mac, if you can disable it, that would be great. But as far as I know, there isn't. I do have one quick question for you, Desiree, before I let you go, since you are obviously an office aficionado. Um, one of the things that I do a lot in my job, and we are a, an office shop, right? we're heavily steeped in the Microsoft ecosystem. We run Teams. We've got the whole mm-hmm. 365 thing going on. One of the biggest game changers, I'm, I overuse that term, but for, for blind people, in my opinion, is the fact that I can go into a meeting room with my senior leadership team and we can all have tablets or laptops open in, say, a Word document and working on text. And I can see in real time when people are updating that text, I can collaborate. It's basically like an accessible whiteboard environment. And I just tell my team, don't use the whiteboard, bring in your device of choice. We'll open a Word document. And if we need to wordsmith something, we can all do it in an accessible way. And I love that. Do you know, can a Mac user play in that sandbox as well with the current state of Microsoft Word? Mm, In the browser, maybe. But so when I do that kind of collaboration, I open it in the office, in the app on my Windows machine. I don't like and I don't like browser. I just don't. But you could do it in the browser on the Mac, but I pr- probably, I don't believe you can in the Microsoft Word app, the Office app for Mac yet that I that I know of. Okay. Uh, if, if anyone knows different, let us know, because that for me is such a big accessibility positive about working mm-hmm. in the office environment and collaborating. I mean, you can do the same thing in Google uh, Docs as well, but we don't use Google Docs, so. Yeah. We used to, and I'm glad we don't anymore. Yeah, yeah. I was in a job that used Google Docs, and it was one of the best things about leaving it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Uh, anything that's browser dependent to me is just—it's more difficult because you know I like I like going in the app and working through and having the you know the ribbons and all those things accessible and not having to shift tab or F6 or whatever the heck I have to do to get to all the formatting tools. But but I think what this discussion, and hopefully you'll both agree with me, really illustrates is that I know there's a lot of pressure on technology instructors and people making assessments and recommendations these days because we're sport for choice. I mean, we're going to be doing a big series shortly on the show about Chromebooks, which I think are mm-hmm. often overlooked. They've come a heck of a long way. Oh, so, yeah. I have to use that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll be interested in your thoughts on that when we get to Chromebooks. Yeah. But yeah. So, so really... I don't think we're at the point anymore where you can say Windows is best or Mac is best in every situation. You really need to understand what's the use case for this individual and recommend the technology that works for this individual at the moment and in as long a term as you can foresee. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. For sure. Daniel's up next. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Daniel. 
Hey, Jonathan and all. Back to Braille, one of the things, and you've commented already in contracted Braille, which I'm not very familiar with, but one of the things that really uh, makes me go back to Windows whenever I try to use my Mac for, for you know work stuff mainly is the fact that the panning handling on the Mac is a little bit weird. And, and just to explain that, what we are used to, uh, I guess all of us in Windows, is that when you pan through a line of text, you need to have, I don't know, maybe two or three pan movements to go to the next uh, visual line if you want. And when you go to the next visual line, just by using the panning buttons, your insertion point, your, your cursor and the braille display just gets to the next line seamlessly. You don't need to do anything at all. And that was the, the, the case on the Mac uh, previous, uh, some versions ago, I guess. And now that seems to have stopped working I've been in contact with uh, several people, I mainly in the Apple Viz forum and stuff, and that's uh, not fixed yet, as far as I'm concerned. Maybe there's there's something that, I, that I'm missing. So that's one of the things. It's not just contracted, but it's also the, the, the way, you know, for, for proofreading, maybe, maybe you're just typing Braille, and you think you're in, in a particular place on the text that, where you can insert a word or maybe delete something else. And you can scroll all, all of the text up if you if you're not if you're not uh, uh, paying attention to where you're in, in the document. So that's that's one bad thing related to Braille that I really hope they fix uh, sooner than later. Now, as the very good things, and I think that's not been covered yet here, is what I would say audio handling. If you want, it's not just that the audio subsystem is much more robust on the Mac side of things. It's also that there are applications that let you control pretty much every single bit of audio on how the audio flows from, from one application to the other and how you can browse stuff. Maybe you could put, you know, all your voiceover and, and, and some bits of music that you want to stream to a Zoom call or something just by using applications on the Mac. So that's uh, one of the good stuff. So as you were saying, Jonathan, and I completely agree with that, it's it's no longer a question of whether Windows is better or, or, or worse. It, very much depends on on your use case, but I would see and I would strongly support, you know, Apple really taking Braille to the next level. They can do that. They have the, the resources to do that, and they have, I'm sure, the expertise to to handle that properly and to to move Braille uh, onwards and, and and make it even better than it's than it is already. Have you tried Braille on Mac with Big Sur? I have, and I have a, a focus. Uh, 40 blue and and uh, if you move the the the, the courses this is actually this there's many ways you could you could uh, move through a document without braille display you could use the rocker bars and you could use the panning buttons so if you've used the or you can use actually the, the built-in braille keyboard to move uh, by words or by lines or that stuff so the problem is when when i use the the panning buttons the ones that are to the very top edges of the display the ones that are marked with with a kind of a narrow uh, signal there and that's where if, if you keep panning and panning through the document, the insertion point just doesn't move. You can read the document. But of course, if you are going to insert something in, in a particular paragraph or, or just before a particular word, you have to remember that you have to click the, the cursor routing, but otherwise you would be inserting the the okay. the word or whatever you want to put in, in the previous position. Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to check because I know at Apple did some did some work with, with Braille for Big Star, but obviously a lot more needs to be done. 
Is Apple engaging with you in a meaningful way on this, Daniel? I mean, can you get past that first level of thank you for your feedback? We'll pass it on. The, <laughs> I mean, are you engaging with anybody who can make a difference? Not yet. I had a Mac uh, several years ago, and then I sold that pretty much at the very same time that you did sell your own Mac. And I back in 2020, I think it was, I did buy a MacBook uh, Pro, and then I have a, one of these new MacBook M1 things that everyone wants to have one of those. And, and it's really, I mean, they, they really improve the user piece. But no, I haven't really started kind of a serious conversation with Apple on, on, on that stuff. I just kind of went around in, in forum. Uh, in fora sorry and and they just uh, people tend to say yeah this is already reported and yeah, there's there's really no success with that but i i do agree with with janet that, that uh, braille in general um as far as i can remember uh, back in the day when i sold my my old MacBook pro it was in 2015 or something I, I as far as i can't remember they've very much improved braille. the thing is they still need to go a little bit further with that I've got to agree with you 100%, Daniel, about the audio. The audio subsystem in macOS just blows Windows completely out of the water. There is no comparison. And what also makes audio sing and dance on macOS is third-party vendors like Rogue Amoeba who do some amazing tools with their Audio Hijack Pro and Loopback and various things like that. But even the ability within the operating system to create aggregate audio devices so easily and stuff like this, it's just head and shoulders ahead of Windows and you don't get those poxy, disgraceful Realtek audio drivers either. Yeah, that, that's completely true. Yeah, and there's the other stuff that, that it's been largely discussed in, in Motion at Large and also in other in other places that we in Windows, and you have Silencio or this Jaws uh, script that, that yeah. keeps sending audio to the to the uh, sound card. You just miss the maybe first uh, couple of milliseconds of a word, and that's yeah, that, that's not happening on the Mac at all. I see that happening now and then. I, I really can't really provide kind of more const- uh, kind of serious feedback as, as to when it happens, but it's certainly not as prominent as it is in Windows. If you would like to know what it is like to be living the dream and running a MacBook with an M1 processor, then you need go no further than to talk to the highly enthusiastic Katie Frederick, who will wax lyrically for hours on what it's like to run an M1 Mac, and she will do it for you now. Hi, Jonathan. Hello, everyone. Um, thank you for Allowing me to speak, this is actually my first time speaking in Clubhouse. Oh, mate, mate, this is great. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey. so hi, Janet. It's good to connect with you again. Um, I know you and I spoke back in the fall when the mm-hmm. MacBook, the M1 MacBooks had just been introduced, and I got my hands on one, well, my credit card um said hello to Apple. And um, I received my MacBook Air right around Christmas time. Um, so that was my Christmas slash birthday gift um, for to me. So I'm actually running it now. And I'm, you know, I work for a company where, you know, we can use kind of whatever computer we want or need to get the job done. So I'm actually, for about the last month or so, I've been really trying to use my Mac for virtually everything. Um, and this includes working in Teams, working in Office. Um, through, we use Office 365 because we have Microsoft Exchange, um, so we can use 365. Um, and I'm, I'm really 
liking it. Um, I do still have a Windows machine because some of the work that I do involves things like accessibility testing and looking at things. And it's just good to have, you know, multiple screen readers and browsers and, and things like that for, for testing. And, but, but overall I'm doing, gosh, probably 90 some percent of my work on my Mac. Um, and you know, again, that's just personal preference. That's what I'm enjoying doing. That's what works for me and my needs. What's your assessment of the Microsoft Office experience on macOS at the moment then, Katie? Yeah, so it's really good. Microsoft has done some updates, and I'm really impressed. There have um, Recently, I was working in Excel and having to do some things that I could not get JAWS to work to do on Windows, and I was able to do them on the Macs and filtering and things like that that, that I couldn't seem to accomplish with, with JAWS and NVDA on Windows. Um, so, you know, again, that's not to say that you know, there aren't, you know, things are different on the Mac for sure. I think we can all agree to that. And, and it's just kind of how it is, you know, not to compare them, but I personally, um, I've, you know, written things in word. Um, I still use the Ulysses app for writing and I, you know, transfer some things to word and, you know, that kind of helps me with more of the formatting and visual aspects of, of working with documents. Um, and of course, you know, always having a visual, a visual, you know, whether that's through Ira or a colleague or something, just give it that once over is, is never hurtful either. Um, but I'm, I'm just really finding it a pleasant experience, um, with the exception of, you know, the, so Microsoft Teams did an update recently and, um, that is kind of has me pulling out some of my hair on the Mac side because it tries to, um, do things like open profile cards and things like that, that I, you know, if I want them opened, I'll open them myself. Thank you, Microsoft. Um, but things like that, that, are a little bit frustrating. Um, but I, you know, again, I personally find working with things like teams, um, easily achievable on my iPad and my iPhone, which is just awesome, an awesome experience for me. I think what I would stress is, is again, that, that you said to not to focus on one thing meets all solutions, right? Because I think we live in a time where if we don't know a range of technology or at least, you know, be familiar with it. It's it's going to hurt us, especially if we're trying to find find employment. And um, you know, I think people need to use what whatever methods and tools work best for them. Um, you know, so for me, again, I I might choose not to use parts of Teams on my Mac, um, or or things like that. But I, you know, I've done Zoom on the Mac, Teams on the Mac, um, and and again, using the Office products, including Outlook. Um, Outlook on the Mac is a is a good experience. Have you done the scenario that I was just talking to Desiree about where you might be collaborating in real time on a Word document and everybody's writing in that document, making amendments, that sort of thing? I'd be really curious to find out how that's working in the Mac environment. Um, I have not tried that only because usually, um, like today we had a, a meeting that I was actually trying to facilitate. So I wasn't I wasn't kind of looking at the document. So I have not personally tried that, um, tried that much. I do, you know, I think it can be done. I've seen it work in the web interface, but that has its own kind of challenges, shall we say, or, or unique issues with just the, the way that Microsoft on the web works. Um, it's not exactly user friendly, shall we say, um, in my experience. So I find it a bit frustrating, but, um, I cannot directly speak, um, at this time to the collaboration things but um 
When you report, for example, that Teams is not as good as it was after an update, do you feed that back to Microsoft? And if you have done that, what's the engagement like with them about really understanding what you're saying and um, taking it on board and perhaps fixing it if there's a problem there? I have not yet, but I'm I'm really tempted to. Um, I think it's, you know, for me, I, I do know some people at Microsoft and I think I really I'm, I'm debating on how to best approach it, right? Because I know they have the Microsoft accessibility account and things like that on Twitter and their, their disability answer desk, et cetera, et cetera. But I guess I'm just kind of wondering how to, how to go about that approach so that I get to the people that need to hear the feedback, right? You know, Microsoft is a huge company. So if there is a way that I can provide, I guess in my case, kind of more Mac specific feedback, because I feel like I don't know that that's often heard. Um, and so I'd love to be a part of that. So um, if anyone from Microsoft is listening or, um, you know, I, I just I would welcome that opportunity. So I'm, you know, looking at how how can I do that in a and have and have some, um, you know, some some dialogue around this, because <laughs> I have learned the hard way. You would be amazed who listens to the show. You would be absolutely yes. amazed. What about the iOS stuff, Katie? Are you running lots of iOS apps on your M1 Mac? And how's that working out for you? Yes. So that is actually really cool. Um, I, I run some, um, iOS apps, some, a couple of like radio station things and, and different things that I've tried have, have worked really well. Um, I'm enjoying that, probably not using it as much as I could or, or whatever, but very happy with, with things overall on the Mac. And I just, you know, I love, you know, some of the you know, because of my work and, and things, I have, you know, my calendar set up to do the syncing and stuff like that. So like all of my, you know, all of my calendar stuff goes from my Mac to my iPhone, to my, to my watch, you know, to everything. So um, all of that is nice. And just the, you know, the continuity is, as others have mentioned, is, is really good. Um, the news on the Mac is good. Um, the, the music app, someone mentioned earlier, you know, preferring music on their iPhone or whatever. And, I get that. Um, I have tried music on the Mac and I, I find it to be a good experience as a new music app, um, that recently came out. It's, you know, it works well for me. Um, I too tend to generally listen to music more on my phone or something cause I connect it to a speaker and I crank it up or whatever. Um, but it does work on the Mac and it works, you know, quite well. You can view songs and go into your library and, and do all those things. Um, so I, I find the music app to be to be a good experience. Okay, now you're also a Braille user. So just before I let you go, tell me about your assessment of Braille on the Mac because it keeps coming up as being a bit of a problem area. So I I do have um, a, a Mantis Braille display. So my experience with Braille on the Mac might be a little different because I'm not using the, the Braille keyboard for input. I'm using the, the Mantis keyboard. I've actually, you know, found Braille to be really good. And I just recently connected my Mantis. Um, the Bluetooth connectivity is improving with the Mac, which is great. Um, it's behaving a lot better um, between those two. So I do think, you know, Braille is is an area where things are different on the Mac. Um, just the way that how how this, the screen kind of looks on my Braille display is um, is a little a little bit different, but I don't have a, a ton of complaints with, with Braille on the Mac. Like you, I got the Mantis, and one of the big attractions for it was that it would liberate me from the contracted input foibles of Apple operating systems, and it's one of the best Braille 
hardware purchasing decisions I've made in a long time. I love the Mantis. Yes. Isn't it great? It is good. I mean, you know, it's a shame that one of the attractions is because of a bug in another operating system, but it's still a good device in its own right. It's a great device. Yes. Jason is next. Hi, Jason. Hi there, Jonathan. Uh, it was a question for Katie, really, with the office experience. Um, how she found um, two things, tables and referencing, because I do that a lot for work. So just her kind of experience on that front. Do you mean tables in Word? or Yes, yeah, so in Word. Next? Sorry, in Word. Sorry, yeah. I should have said. Um, no, no, <laughs> you're fine. So I have not had a lot of experience working with tables in Word, um, thankfully, I think. Um, just, <laughs> <laughs> I know. think sometimes I found it works and sometimes it doesn't work. It's a bit it's like, mm, is it something right. I'm doing or something? Like saying, sometimes when I create a table, it works fine. And when I try to do it from another document, it goes a bit off skew. So I'm like, what's sure. going on? <laughs> Right. So, and I don't know too if you know if you have the latest Office update. Um, I that, think that, that could be the, that could be a key. Yeah, as well, which that I'm seems not too to sure. really fix some things because I I noticed ah. too, um, just in the past couple of weeks there have been some really good improvements um, with with Office. That's good to know. So, That's good. Yeah. I'm good. I'm glad I'm not the only one that's trying to scratch their head and trying to work that one out. No, no. <laughs> See, this is no, the thing. I mean, for me, tabular data is is an absolute essential thing. I'm dealing with large tables full of financial data and and that just mm. has to work yes. yeah that's yes. why I, that's why i wanted to ask that question specifically because i'm i'm mm-hmm. i'm dealing with like financial data and stuff like like why well, is it working there and then, and then i'll put sure. it in the word and it goes mm, maybe i want to think about this <laughs> right and yeah. yeah i mean you might want to try excel um too like i said that's improved yeah. vastly for me um, okay so. What about ref- um, I do a lot of bio references, like so references. Um, so I do a lot of um, university writing. So I'm kind oh, of referencing yes. books and mm-hmm. stuff. Right. And I found that like absolute no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I've only been trying it for the last week, so maybe I'm just not quite understanding something somewhere along the line. And I I don't know if an app like Ulysses would help you, where you could do your writing in that app and then oh, okay. um, export it to Word. Um, if was was the spinning of that was was the spinning of that app again? Sorry, Ulysses. Ulysses. Okay. Y S S E S. Okay, it's not one I'm familiar with. I'll go and chunt that one out. Tell you, Ulysses is the one thing that really tempts me back to the Mac. Sometimes I use Ulysses. Jonathan. I use Ulysses on my iPhone, and I have to say, it is my favorite re- way to write on any platform. Um, I write yeah. very long and quite complex things in Ulysses, and the way I have my Ulysses set up now, since I'm not a Mac user, is that it uh, saves in Dropbox as Markdown files. So I then mm-hmm. have a tool in Microsoft Word that basically natively imports those Markdown files. So I've got yeah. the best of both worlds, and I can write some really good, well-formatted things on my iPhone. But Ulysses mm. on the Mac is just as accessible as it is on the iPhone. It's a wonderful uh, writing tool. So maybe maybe that's what I need to do. Maybe that's where I need to look. Thank you so much for both of you two. And I'd better take this one as our last speaker because Bonnie Mosin is on stage. So welcome, Bonnie, from the great state of upstairs. Hi, everybody. Great to be here. Hi. Thank you, Janet, for... Um, all the information and all the the great questions that have come in this hour. It's been very, very inform, uh, very informational. My question is, as as Jonathan says, we have a a MacBook Air M1 that I bought also for my Christmas present last year, 
and really love it. Have been trying to spend some time with it, getting to know it, getting to, to use it, that sort of thing. What advice would you have? Because I think that as someone was talking about earlier, JAWS is the an NVDA or the most common operating systems because most of the world does use Windows computers. The office environment, most employers have Windows computers, so JAWS is just easier. Switching over to the Mac, or at least being comfortable with the Mac, is it just kind of the question of or going kind of cold turkey with the Windows machine and, and using the Mac for several weeks to get to know it? Or, or what is what is your best advice for, for actually, for someone actually just learning it and being comfortable? My best advice is don't try to do everything in a day. Do a little bit at a time. Um, when I converted over, I had my Windows machine there for like a couple of weeks, just in case there was something I really needed to do. And little by little, I went over. If you want to just go all windows, you can do that. There are, and, and Jonathan has done them. David Woodbridge has done them. AppleViz has. For somebody that's new to the Mac, uh, besides my book, um, there are some wonderful podcasts out there for, for doing the Mac. My suggestion is to, Look at those. Learn like one little thing a day. Learn your Mac keyboard. Learn the uh, keyboard commands. One of the things that you can do is, I believe it's VOK, the voice um, control and option keys in the letter K. And what that'll do is that will put you into keyboard help. And what it'll do is it'll tell you, you press a bunch of keys or whatever you press it, it will tell you the name of that command. And just, just practice with it. Get to learn a few things at, at, at a time. It's, you know, it's think back to when you learn windows, how did you learn windows? So you, you're going to kind of do the same thing. Just do it very slowly. There is onboard help right there on the computer. And again, there's podcasts, there's, there's articles, there's all kinds of great stuff. Do it slowly. That's that's my advice. Bonnie, you attended a course that you were quite positive about. Do you want to tell us about that? And yeah, it was it was a really good course. It was done through the the tech juggernaut. If anyone's heard of that, that's Matt. Um, oh gosh, I can't. His last name is escaping me right now. And Cliff Miller, part of that, and it was really really good. It was about four weeks. It was back in January. And they are pretty much all Mac, you know, very, very Mac-centric, which is great. And um, a lot of good stuff came came from from there. Well, we're going to wrap. Now, Janet, it's really important for us to talk about how people can obtain this book, which is what this is okay. all about. Hopefully, people are curious about the Mac. And, of course, you know, one of the things that's challenging is – it's not even as simple as borrowing a friend's Mac for a couple of days to see what it's like, is it? Because you've really, as a screen reader user, I think the learning curve for anyone getting into new operating system is steeper because you've got this layer on top of right. of what everybody else has. So you've got to give something a fair chance, but at least buying the book is a way to understand the user interface and, and get a feel for how you might use a Mac. What's the price and where can people get the book from? The price depends on how you get it. If if you're just doing a like a Microsoft Word download, it's twelve dollars US for the book. Um, the prices change because you can get it on a USB drive. There's a whole bunch of things, options. 
Um, the book is from National Braille Press, um, which is www.nbp.org. Uh, Jonathan, I actually have the link if you're doing show notes. Of course, yes, that would be great. So we can include that in the show notes for the podcast I, I version. Send it to you too. Yeah, and the title, the full title of the book? Uh, Mac Basics, uh, <laughs> Big Start Update, or some or something like that. But if you search on Mac Basics on the NBP Mac site, Basics. yeah, it'll come um, up. I, I will give you that information. I'll give you the exact title. So we we were just running it as like Mac Basics when we were doing the editing. Super. I'm so grateful for you giving us some of your time. And what I'm also grateful for is, you know, the, the, the tone of this discussion, because so often when you have discussions about people's different technology preferences, it almost turns into a great religious war. And that's so unhelpful because there are pros and cons of every operating system and it's nice to be able to have a mature discussion about what might work for some people, what might work for other people, genuinely being objective about the pros and cons. And I feel like we've been able to do that. So I'm grateful to everybody for being on the stage and doing that. And uh, we look forward to reading further articles from you, Janet, about the Mac and, and other yes. things in the future. Um, yeah, I, um, I have one actually now in Access World that just came out, which is about Apple Music. Right. And that's going through some very exciting changes with the introduction of spatial audio and lossless yes. and high res. Marvelous. Marvelous. Yeah. I, I I didn't cover on that. Basically what Access World is doing is a series of on on streaming uh, streaming services and on um music services. So we've been doing a whole series on them, just how to operate them, what to do, um, what are the pitfalls, which have the best accessibility. And I just want to echo what Jonathan said, that, that you guys were awesome, that you asked great questions, and nobody was bashing anybody else. So I, I'm very impressed. You have great listeners. <laughs> Wonderful. We hope to have you back sometime and continue these discussions because, you know, I, I really believe information is power, and it's a big decision yep. what screen reader you use and what computer you buy um, makes a big difference to us all. To contribute to Mosin at Large, you can email Jonathan, that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, at mushroomfm.com by writing something down or attaching an audio file. Or you can call our listener line, it's a US number, 864-60-MOSIN. That's 864-606-6736. Mosin.